I'm Kaitel. And I'm Joe. And we're the United Mates. Back in our school days, a shared passion for football brought us together as best friends. Today, we're separated by an ocean. I live in our hometown, London. And these days, I live in LA. But we still enjoy nothing more than chatting about the beautiful game. So we started a podcast. Join us. A few more old mates from school here and there. And new friends too from the world of professional football and beyond. This is the United Mates Football Podcast. Hello and welcome to the United Mates Football Podcast. My name is Joe and as always I'm joined by my co-host all the way from LA, Kaitel. And we're also delighted to be joined by a guest. Um, Franco is one of the hosts of the Cheese Room podcast. And whilst the title of this podcast may fool you, it's less about Brie and more about Bale. Or to be more precise, it's all about the mighty or I guess at the moment the not so mighty Spurs. So Franco, welcome to the United Mates podcast. How's it going? Yeah, not too bad. Um, Football-wise, not so good, as I'm sure you'd agree, but I'm glad to be here and have a little chat about um, all things Spurs. Fantastic. Yeah, Kaitel here. Really good to have you on the podcast, Franco. We're going to do our little little icebreaker, as we typically do, to get into this. And um, rather than going down the the cheese route, I'm going to go down the the Franco route. So obviously, (laughs) I think most of us are probably aware of James Franco and his brother, even Dave Franco, the kind of uh, acting brothers in, in Hollywood. So I think the first time they actually were able to act in a film together was a recent movie called The Disaster Artist. And that's about basically an actual film called The Room by Tommy Wiseau, which is notorious for being pretty much the best worst movie ever. So on that note, today's mm. icebreaker question is what each of our favorite bad movies or TV shows are. And I'll start. So when I was a kid, the first Star Wars movie that I went to see in the movie theaters was episode one, The Phantom Menace, which when you're a kid was quite cool because there was pod racing that scene was fun. And then there was a double-edged lightsaber, which again, if you're a kid, which I was at the time, that was more than enough to satisfy me. But I watched it recently and surprise, surprise, it does not hold up. Um, the story is nonsensical. It's really bad. They had amazing actors in it, which just makes it even more impressive that they were able to screw it up so badly. And then again, even Jar Jar Binks, who at the time was like the comic relief and quite funny, sadly is just like very racially <laughs> insensitive character. So there's nothing <laughs> redeeming about this film whatsoever. Franco, what do you think your favourite bad movie or TV series might be? When I was at uni, me and my mates, for some reason, one night we just hired any film. And my mate went to the um, blockbuster, wherever it was, and he, and he picked up a film called Boa on the strength that it had Dean Kane, who was in The New Adventures of Superman. <laughs> he played Superman. It's the worst B-movie ever. They basically go to Antarctica and they're, they're drilling for thermal heat or something and they somehow awaken this prehistoric boa constrictor which is massive it's just like terrible effects terrible everything but and dean kane basically just makes it so um if you're ever looking for a film to watch check it out boa it's like sharknado before that was even conceptualized right well i mean i wonder if that came before anaconda which was obviously what was that j-lo and ice cube so it's, maybe that was the it, film that inspired uh, another like bad budget movie. version of that yeah, yeah. budget anaconda <laughs> Love it. Joe, what, what about you? Some bad movies? Yeah, well, I feel bad calling it a bad movie because I do love this movie, but it has to be Hot Tub Time Machine, I think. I, I just, <laughs> I just, I think it's quality. I mean, I think the second one, maybe not so much. I don't know if I even saw that, but yeah, Hot Tub Time Machine. What, what, uh, 
what an idea and what, you know, what a movie. But uh, yeah, away away from um, bad movies and bad TV series. Now we've got a few questions, Franco, about um, the Cheese Room podcast, a podcast that as a Spurs fan, I've got to say, I really, really enjoy listening to. So um, the first question we've got for you is the fact that the Cheese Room obviously prides itself on the fact that, you know, you you have people from all over the globe kind of contributing to it. So yeah. What I was interested in was sort of how did how did the podcast begin? I know a lot of people might live all over the place, but mainly a kind of British. Were, were you a, a group of people that all knew knew each other or did you all kind of meet on the Internet, on Spurs forums and stuff like that? Yeah, the latter. Essentially, GGTH, Glory, Glory, Tottenham Hotspur, which was one of kind of like the original Facebook groups. It was the largest for a while and there's obviously now loads. And I was on there for like seven, eight years, just arguing with anybody, trying to be positive. And, um, and then Aaron, who's kind of the founder of the Cheese Room, he's based in Sydney. He kind of came on there and he's, he's like out there, very out there. And he was posting sort of loads of stuff. that got loads of traction on there and he's a real colourful character. So based upon that, he thought, well, people seem to like the sort of stuff that I'm putting out. So maybe I'll do a pod. And he started it and I think they did about four or five episodes um, with a few of the people from GGTH. And then he got me on board. And then it just kind of grew. We just kind of, you know, it does. We started our own Facebook page that grew. And then we just started bringing people in from everywhere. So we've got, yeah, a few, quite a few Yanks. Um, and at the end of our first season, we basically then started, we did this sort of like pretend tour of America, going around on our Winnebago, speaking to all the different football groups, uh, the supporters clubs out there, because it's obviously a big thing in America now. So we got like six or seven of those guys on. And then, yeah, it's just people kind of get in touch with us and say, I'm really interested. It's amazing the amount of sort of expats. We were really trying to get people from the supporters clubs who were proper Americans and finding out why they would support Spurs. And the amount of expats that are out there who just got nominated every time. They're like, this guy knows more about football than us. <laughs> so we were like, no, we want some Yanks, please. Let's, let's talk to the Americans. So that's it, really. We've just kind of grown and grown and we're now in our third season. It's impressive how many Spurs fans there are out there globally, or if not any, I guess like a little bit concerning maybe from my point of view at least. <laughs> but um, another question about, about the cheese room and more focusing on kind of the content that you produce. Um, mm. To my knowledge, you kind of began, you were telling us a bit about the origins, but for a while it was all, all free entirely. Whereas now you have certain content that's um, a bit more exclusive through, I believe, yeah. Patreon, which is a pretty common step when it comes to monetizing a podcast or, or any kind of like creative content that's done done freelance so my question yeah. would be that now that the cheese room is where it is in that regard with monetization and a bit of a budget how has that transition been for you guys how has the reaction been from your fans and then what has this monetization aspect allowed in terms of new opportunities um that you might not have been able to to use for the podcast prior oh this answer is going to be very disappointing i mean look i think when we first started up there's obviously costs involved in in hosting we then i think we went a bit too far too too quickly we got a website um everybody sort of bought microphones that were sort of 200 pounds each and stuff like that so we ended up having spent about two grand and at that point you know we were no money was coming in whatsoever um and like i said aaron who founded it he had a kid in the last year so he's kind of been busy doing that and it's basically like he's been our benevolent benefactor paying for stuff and we just kind of commit ourselves to like eight, eight hours a week doing the pods so we kind of thought look we can't have this forever we need to sort of um start paying aaron back and we got a little sponsorship stuff we, we've kind of we don't really want to do 
um, sports betting advertising in a sort of moral argument. And we didn't really want to talk about shaving our balls either. We've had that offer. Uh, <laughs> that seems to be everywhere. So we, we got one that we're really happy with football prizes. But then we just thought it'd be really good to sort of have a bit more interaction with our top fans. We've got a Facebook page of like 20,000 people on it, 18,000 people. And there's a lot of regulars on there and we have some good chat on, and stuff on there. But we thought we really want to talk to the people that, that listen to us regularly and see how many there are out there. So it was really like dipping our toes in the water to see what was out there. And like, all right, we've only got about 50 people so far, but that's really all we expected. Like our costs aren't that high. And, um, you know, we are going to sort of give merch and stuff to these people. We, we're not looking to make money out of it. But we want to do things like, you know, run little competitions amongst them, give spur shirts, just do cool stuff like interaction between us and the people who listen to us. And we use Slack, which is very similar to like Messenger or any other sort of chat um, app to, to communicate with each other. So we had all these different channels, all these different things like, you know, YouTube ideas, these ideas. And we just thought, well, let's just give that to the patrons as well, because then we can chat to them. And that was supposed to be just sort of match day. Like I was talking about the game, sort of moaning about, you know, dying, misplacing passes and stuff like that. But it's turned into just like an everyday chat, which we had anyway. Now we just include them anyway. So it's just, yeah, it's just great because it is, we get to talk to people that listen to the pod. They get to tell us direct feedback and stuff like that. So it's, it's for us, it's, um, it's worked out really well. And I suppose Aaron gets to maybe recoup a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) this is it. We we need to have these, we need to have these chats at some point. He he at the minute has gone off and he's doing a um, fantasy basketball pod. It's a oh, massive okay. thing, apparently, and the Aussies love it as well. So, and he's well into it. So he started, he's kind of diversifying his portfolio. You know what I mean? He's moved out a little bit, so he's not so focused on us. Um, he's, he's a busy man. But yeah, it's um, the thing is, people don't seem to realise that if you do pay for things like decent hosting and, and things like that, then it does it costs money. And um, as much as you know, it wasn't going to cripple us financially. It's just like you do feel like, well, I'm giving a lot of my time and a lot of this for, for nothing. So it'd be good to see if you know people are willing to support us. And, and it's a beautiful thing. I love the fact that people, even if it's only a couple of quid a month, just the fact that people are willing to do that is really humbling and, and sounds really wanky saying that, but it is <laughs> it's great. No, it's um it it is a great thing. It's great to, you know, build a community. And I mean you already have one, but um it just kind of shows the power of Patreon and I'm sure um your yeah. numbers will continue to grow because like I said, it's um it's a great listen that people are already recognizing. But um one of the um one of the things actually that I think makes the cheese room such a compelling listen is the fact that um people on the podcast, you know, they're not afraid to speak passionately so for example um the episode you just released um about the West Ham game that was a that was a really interesting listen actually because you had um you had the Harlow Globetrotter and Seb um really getting into it and kind of it really encapsulated kind of almost two different types of Spurs fans in the way and how people feel about Mourinho but um obviously it can it can get quite heated but you know it makes for a very entertaining um listening but as a as a host franco when um when these kind of heated debates emerged what how do you feel about it do you feel a responsibility to sort of act as a as a peacemaker of sorts or is it something that just doesn't really cross your mind and you just kind of let let the guys go at it as it were it depends like I edit the pods quite heavily. I know some pods don't bother at all. You had Flav on here the other week from the Fighting Cock. I, I get the feel that theirs is just like down the pub. Yeah. Let's have a chat. Everything goes. <laughs> and a few others that, that do exactly the same. But I take a fair amount of pride in making it quite a tight edit. And um, there's not loads of stuff that gets cut. But it is, it's like little bits of talking over and when arguments don't, the, the you know points aren't really that substantial 
I cut them out. And it's, I think at the weekend, it was just like, right, I'm going to let these two go. Seb was in a really bad mood after that match. I mean, we've been on a really bad run and it was just, it kind of felt like that was the, the watershed moment where he was just like, no, I need to, I need to rant at this. And I think that's the thing with the chat as well. Sort of people give their opinions after the match. And HG has said a few things where he was just like, well, you know, it's not that bad. It's not that different to how we normally play. And I think Seb kind of went in there spoiling and they both were. So it was like, yeah, all right, I'll let you go this time. And I'm not going to not gonna bother um, refereeing it too much at all. You probably noticed I was probably about 5% of that pod and those two <laughs> took up the remaining. So, yeah, um, I do think that some pods just are very ranty and... Um, we try not to do that either. Like we basically do match reviews and we get a few people moaning at us going, well, you never talk about the big issues at the club, like Levy and the ownership and this and this and this. Not, we're not really interested in doing that. Like we'll do that at the end of the season where there's transfers to be made and, and movements that, that will, you know, the chairman and Hitchin and different people can actually influence. But apart from that, we're doing match reviews. We're just going to talk about the game, what we see on the pitch. Like I never, in my you know, 16, 17 years of going to Spurs, after a match, we'd come out and go like, ah, oh, Levy's fault. <laughs> you just wouldn't. you talk about what you've just seen, wouldn't you? And say, oh, can you believe you missed that open shot? Can you believe how bad we were today at defending? Can you believe this? So that's exactly what we do with the match review. And um, yeah, that, that that's it, really. We just, we just try and sort of um, give our honest opinions about what we saw in the game and what we would do to change things. Hmm. Well, maybe we'll be able to draw you on some of the bigger picture Spurs kind of Levy you can, topic stuff later. You but. can do that today, no problem, no problem. <laughs> Sounds good. Otherwise, um, as uh, the person who edits this <clears> podcast, <throat> I can definitely relate to kind of keeping these things in your mind as they're happening and sort of projecting forward to what you want the end product to, to look like. But um, let's move on to our first game because we have got a game that, that we've prepared. And um, it's actually been a little while since we've been able to feature this collaboration on the pod. But I'm delighted to say that today's version of Pick That One Out has been produced by our good friend, Adam Sparrow from Radio Rochdale. And of course, Adam's commentary debuted on the pod back when we spoke to Rochdale footballer Jimmy Keohane. That day, the goals were Ireland-themed, but of course, he's provided some Spurs-related content for us today. So the name of the game, as I mentioned, is Pick That One Out. It's going to be up to Joe and Franco and then anybody else listening along to the podcast to guess the infamous goal that's being described based on Adam Sparrow's original commentary. And just for the record, no, I am not Adam Sparrow. I'm just rolling the clips, although to be fair, nobody has ever seen us in the same room together. Anyway, (laughs) here is the first goal. It's the scorer of the game's only goal so far on the ball now, and he strides forward in the number 18 kit. I don't think that will be his number for much longer if he keeps playing like this. He lays it off to his fellow giant of a striker. Supposedly, if you give him the ball, he will score. Anyway, the former Arsenal man miscontrols the ball on the edge of the area, but ends up bundling past three defenders nevertheless. The opposition won a free kick, but no dice, and now the ball breaks to the edge of the area. And oh, Dios míos! Rabona! The young lad may as well hang up his boots after this game, because he will never hit a sweeter strike than that one, as long as he lives between you and me still. He's got no right foot. All right. <laughs> so... As I mentioned, Adam Sparrow has provided the, the original commentary of some, some classic goals in the past. This one is Spurs-related. Do either of you have any ideas what the goal he was commentating on might be? I've got a feeling, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'll let you go for it then, Franco. Well, uh, the mention of Rabona, I would suggest it's, it's Mr. Lamella in the Europa League. Indeed, it was Mr. Eric Lamella, who apparently has previous, because um, he, I think, even did something similar for River Plate back in the day. Uh, he was born doing Rabonas, yeah. <laughs> he does love them, yeah. Only he was good at 
anything else. No, I'm just kidding. Um, he had quite a nice run the other day where he almost set up Harry Kane. Um, which yeah, is... he's been actually okay recently. I've yeah. never really been the biggest fan. Yeah, he's been he's been better than I'd say he normally is. Here's the second one. The visitors really need something soon, or this could get very embarrassing. Like, even more embarrassing than the neon kits they're sporting. Anyway, it's their Trinidadian striker on the ball, and he plays it forward to the French midfielder who spreads it to the Colombian attacker out wide. That was a very international piece of interplay. Left-footed cross towards the back post, and nobody's tracked the runner. He's controlled it with his arm, though, surely. But the ref's happy to play on, and he slams it into the back of the net. Goal stands, and the scorer and his two-toned haircut make their way back into the away team's half for the restart. We could be about to see one of the most incredible comebacks in league history. So, whether or not the comeback did end up happening... Do either of you have any ideas who Adam was talking about? Yeah, yeah, that was from a, a a nice a nice game for Tottenham fans, and yeah, that was it. Never should have been allowed that goal. Yeah. Franco, though, how about you? It seems like Joe might have it. No, did he say Trinidad Trinidad and Tobago striker? There was yeah, a footballer on that team from Trinidad. Although his name is the name of another country, which is quite random. Um, but don't think about that too much because it might throw you off. Otherwise. They're not in the Premier League anymore, this team. And I mentioned that the comeback might have been on, but instead Spurs ended up just scoring more and more and more goals against this team that day. No, I, I, I pass. Joe? Joe? Go on. I'll, I'll reveal it was um, Paul Sharner's goal against Spurs when we beat them 9-1, Wigan Athletic. <laughs> in that, it was indeed. In that. And, it was, and yeah, it never should have been allowed that goal. Handball. But, uh, you know, we, we can get over it. We got nine that day, so it's all right. They can have one. Yeah, I figured Adam, I guess, didn't want to be too nice to, to you guys as Spurs fans. So he's gotten a Spurs goal and then a goal against Spurs. This other one, again, is going to be related to Spurs, but not necessarily a goal for Spurs. Here we go. Ball on the left, and now the play makes its way infield. It's the diminutive and dreadlocked Brazilian midfielder bursting forward, and he slips the ball through to the marquee signing. But he's been forced wide, and now he's almost on the goal line with a defender shadowing him. Ooh, that was a bit clever. See ya, Ginge. Ricky Martin would have been proud of that hip-swiveling manoeuvre. Now he's one-on-one from the angle, but he's going to put it on a plate for his teammate instead. That's game over. I think the assist provider has a spot on Strictly waiting for him whenever he wants it based on those moves. So, I'll say Tottenham aren't playing in this game, but one of the players being described is pretty synonymous with Tottenham at one point Mm -hmm. in his career. As in played for Tottenham? Yes. Yeah. There was a Brazilian midfielder who plays it to a striker who used to play for Spurs. And then he sets up one of the best players in the world who used to play for another team in in the Premier League, which is this team. Oh, okay. So Real Madrid related? Yeah, this guy went on to play for Real Madrid after Man United, the one who ended up scoring the goal. and then Yeah, yeah, so it's Cristiano we're we're talking about, are we? But the assister used to play for Tottenham. So Michael Carrick? No, this was in, I believe he signed for United in 2008 and <laughs> might have gone on to become the league's top scorer either that season or the season after. Oh, what? Bur- Bur- Berbatov? Yes, it was against West Ham. Does anyone remember that? Oh, yeah, sort of. Yeah, he sort of does a really nice little turn. And yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, Berbatov is like by the goal line in the corner. I think James Collins comes to get him and he does this like weird fifa skill move <laughs> gets around him and then passes it to ronaldo so maybe that one was a bit bit too obscure considering that like i mentioned neither tottenham were playing or, or scoring or being scored against but the answer was yes dimitar Berbatov assisting ronaldo. as soon as the player leaves spurs they're dead to me so <laughs> <laughs> i can memory. relate 
I can especially really. Berbatov. <laughs> uh, once they go to United, it's done. Van Persie, that's you don't yeah, don't say anymore. That's I, I um but I guess well was it one apiece? I think each of you got one there, and then I might have had to get you over the line for the last one. So we'll we'll call that a, a tie, which is very diplomatic. Um okay. nice. Okay, yeah. We played um we played our first game. Now time to talk about Spurs. I don't know if I'm excited about that or not, but I think we probably should, given we've got Franco on. So um Obviously, Franco, since November, things have, well, they've literally in the league gone downhill um, in the Premier League. And um, there's obviously a lot of questions being pointed at our manager, Jose Mourinho. But at the same time, we are still in the Carabao Cup final, albeit against a ridiculously good City team are on form at the moment. And still early stages, but we're still in the Europa League too. And at the time of recording, it's the day before the second leg. So hopefully Wolfsburger don't do a number on us in that. But um, personally, I'm I'm not Jose Mourinho's biggest fan. I never have been. But at the same time, I have found sort of the, the Spurs Twitter community. I mean, every football fan community is an interesting place when your club's not doing well. Yeah. I have found points the criticism has potentially been over the top so I guess what I was interested in Franco is look Mourinho he's been making questionable selection decisions he keeps changing the centre-backs there's obviously been the problems with other players you know there's been the issues with Delhi. there's been the he didn't start bail the other day when he had a good game midweek but where do you stand on Mourinho do you think the the criticism is justified and or is it is it a bit over the top, given the season's still got a bit left in it? Well, to be fair, Joe, isn't everything on Twitter and social media over the top? I think that's the point, is that everybody's trying to get their you know, their retweets and yeah. their likes. So therefore, you need to say something outlandish, whether it's on one side or the other. And I think that's the other thing about the pod, is we, we don't tend to do that. <laughs> We're all fairly like, right, let's keep our feet on the floor. It's not the end of the world. It's not the greatest time ever. Like When we were top of the league, none of us were saying, like, yeah, we're definitely going to win the league. Definitely going to win. And, and likewise, at other bad times, we've, we've not sort of gone over the top about it. And I used to spend a lot of my time on social media just basically being contrarian whatever anyone people go mental I'll, I'll just be arguing the opposite it wasn't that bad a result we'll be back on it next week when we're doing really well we're not going to win the league look we're not that good so with Joe say I think if you go all the way back you probably know that the fan base was probably split 50 50 people liked him people didn't like him maybe slightly more people didn't like him but he comes with lots of baggage and he comes with a history. And I think recently, if you look at what he did at Man United, you've got, you know, you've got loads of Man United fans saying he's going to be terrible for you. He's going to, he's going to ruin your club. So there's always this little element of fear in the background. Then you look at his record and you go, well, you, you can't argue with that. So it's like, what do you do? You, you let him have a go. And I think after coming up to sort of, it's over a season now, isn't it? I forget how many games in the Premier League he's actually played 40 something. It's not that great. Like there's not been vast improvements. It felt like there might have been at the start of the season. We were being a bit more solid, a bit harder to beat. But the football's boring. If I was paying for my season ticket to go and watch this, I would be moaning a lot more. I know I would. It's like when you're just watching it at home, it's quite easy to switch it off. And at least then you're at home straight away. <laughs> you can do whatever you need to do. You haven't got that journey back from the ground. You haven't got to listen to all the other Spurs fans moan about it. You haven't got to listen to the radio and talk sports. All the things you do normally on the way back from a football match. 
to kind of make you realise how terrible the performances were. And I just think he's a different style of manager as well. I feel like whilst Poch did everything to absorb the blows and, and he very rarely blamed players for anything, Jose seems very much about deflecting blame from himself <laughs> and sort of maintaining this, yeah. this this aura of him being the special one still. He's like clinging onto it with dear life. And I feel like, you know, he said something weird again in, in yesterday's, I'm sorry, Sunday's post-match, didn't he? He said like, there's things that need improving that I can't improve in the club or something like that. It was equally as nonsense as that bad <laughs> rendition of what he said. And uh, I don't know. He just, he, I just don't ever feel like with Jose, you're ever going to get a manager that's a hundred percent committed to the club. He's, he's more about his own image and his own performance. And it's, um, I think that's, that's starting to show a little bit. I mean, today again, he's come out and said that Spurs are going to remember me for, for good things and not bad things. So I'm like, you've got to admire that confidence, but I don't think confidence is going to be enough, Jose. And I don't know how many seasons you're going to have to stay at Spurs for us to kind of remember you fondly. (laughs) You mentioned sort of being at home is kind of a silver lining these days when, when teams aren't, aren't performing as an Arsenal fan living in the States, I get like the double bonus. (laughs) We've seen it happen with your lot. No offense, but like, for the last three, you know, all those seasons where you were trying to get rid of Wenger and there was Arsenal fan TV were kind of churning things up a little bit, weren't they? Because they were, that was the main media output. And at least like 80, 90% of the people there on there were moaning about the manager, moaning about the board. And in the end, they they pretty much started the movement that, that got Wenger sacked. And then it's not really improved too much since, has it? It's that thing of grass is always greener and mm. you kind of have these ideas, but it, it doesn't work out. And um I wouldn't have wanted to be going to Arsenal games in those days with those hostile atmospheres, people arguing in the crowds and fighting and stuff like that. And it would be happening at Spurs right now. I can almost guarantee it. Like you said, it's not like, yeah, we're suddenly just way better than you or anything. We're going through the same struggles. I just am happy that Mourinho's not our manager, to be honest with you. But <laughs> I, won't, I won't dwell on that too much. I have a question for you about um, actually a couple of players that Joe had, had already brought up, um, the likes of, of Bale. And then I think uh, I'll, I'll ask you that. And then I want to ask you something about Deli Alley. But as far as Bale, obviously he has kind of stepped up in the past couple of games against mm-hmm. Wolfsburg and West Ham. Do you think realistically that he can add anything meaningful to this team between now and the end of the season if he can sort of stick in Mourinho's good books? If you'd have asked me two games ago, I would have said no, because we'd seen virtually nothing. I just, I don't get what's going on with Bale. He he seems like, it's not even 50%. He seems like he was on 20% for most of the season up until that point. And the goals he scored and, and the, the little kind of touches you've seen here and there are so sparse and so few and far between. You almost think, I'm not sure he's ever going to be able to step up. What, what is he going to need? Um And then the last two games, you've just seen little glimpses and you've just seen those little bits of quality that you remember from him. But it's you, you compare that to the player that left, who as soon as he got the ball was like, boom, direct, down the wing, through the middle, whatever. You'd have Defoe, Lennon, him. It was just... It was just dangerous. Whenever he got the ball, it was exciting. And that was the thing that, you know, the, the fans would be up on their feet almost instantly because you knew that if he was breaking, there'd be a, a chance at the end of it. And along with that, some of the brilliant goals he scored, uh, some of them just absolutely phenomenal. He had an absolute rocket of a, of a left foot for those one or two seasons. And um, I think if he can play, 
incrementally better from what he was in the last two games, then then yeah, because the rest of our forward players have not contributed enough. It's been Kane and it's been Son, and the rest have got hardly any goals between them. Lucas Moura, Bergvine, Lamella, none of them are, are getting loads of goals this season. And I think, yeah, Bale should be given more of a chance. And if he's up for it and he's going to play like he did the last two, then he's, he's probably um, in first place, you know, I mean, ahead of those guys at the moment. Yeah, I think fair enough, actually. Bale does seem to have a bit more end product um, given sort of the amount of appearances he's had and the actual goal tr- contributions he's, he's given compared to the likes of uh, Lamella and mm. Mora. But I guess moving from another, oh, one player who might have yeah had his heyday in the past to another one who shouldn't, because he hasn't realistically reached his prime in terms of age, and that would be Deli Ali. So mm. obviously, I think the kind of popular opinion out there is that Mourinho has frozen him out and treated him quite harshly. Um, Deli was an unbelievable talent um, when you first got him, not just in terms of you know Spurs fans, like as far as England as well. He was potentially going to be a guy to really take us places, and now he's clearly not near that level where he was performing before. So, without any of us being experts or you know having that like fly on the dressing room wall experience, do you think yeah. that? Delhi is as much to blame for what has happened versus like Mourinho at the end of the day it's his career you know um do you think Delhi has attitude issues yeah I mean the, the, at the end of the day if you're, if you're not good enough on the pitch then you don't deserve to be picked that's what I think but I, I do question why he's been frozen out quite as severely as he has uh some of the Europa League games he could have definitely played he could have sometimes he wasn't even on the bench for certain games after having played relatively well in sort of short short space of the time in the Europa League so I do question Jose's motivation of him a little bit but it's really odd because we had obviously the all or nothing documentary and, and he comes in and says something about um Delhi was the only player that Ferguson ever told him to buy something like that so he's like you know from the start he's like I'm holding Delhi to a really high standard and then he he has that sort of post-match chat with the, with the whole team and he says to Delhi, you're a fucking lazy trainer or something like that. So he's, he's obviously like having little digs, but it's all like friendly. It's like your uncle or something like that. <laughs> it's like friendly uncle having a little joke with him. But then it, it just seems to have just completely gone off a cliff because last year when Kane and um, Son were injured, Delhi came in the side and contributed a few goals. And I just don't think Jose knows where to fit him in. I think Jose's got a system that Delhi doesn't necessarily fit. And the best we got out of him was when he was really playing as a striker. He was in that position behind Kane, but Kane would drop, Delhi would go, and just his movement into the box and timing was 99% of what was the best about his game. The goals he got were all about arriving in the box and you know a quick control finish. Um, I remember one goal, I think it was against Everton, where he just played this ridiculously long ball and he just got in the end of it, touch, bang, goal. Those sort of things were what he was doing. And like, you know, the goal against Palace, little moments of magic like that. But I don't think he's agile enough, maybe, to be a sort of centre midfielder. And it's just difficult to know what where is best to utilise Delhi's attributes at the moment. And um, you can see as well on the All or Nothing documentary, he comes in at half-time and moans about playing long ball. And I can just imagine that he's just said something at some point. Or, you know, he's probably the sort of guy that sits in the changing room and is just sort of muttering under his breath about how unhappy he is with how we're playing and stuff like that. And I just don't think Jose will tolerate it. You know, he's, the, the egos in football and in the changing room are massive. And I don't think Jose would allow anybody, anybody to sort of start pulling apart his tactics or undermining him. So could well be that, but I, I just don't know. And I don't think he played particularly well at the weekend when he came on. I don't think he's played particularly well in a long time. So it's, it's really difficult to see a way back for Delhi. I really thought he would go to PSG, but that didn't even really seem like Poch wanted him. 
I guess it's no surprise then that two of Mourinho's seemingly favourite players have no personality whatsoever. <laughs> Harry Dyer and Harry Kane. <laughs> Dyer just, yeah, Dyer is the most sullen person, isn't he? He's just mumbles, or just like, yeah. He's, um, you, you but then again, then he kicks off and goes chasing after people in the yeah. crowd. <laughs> his brother, yeah. <laughs> He's like a hibernating bear. When you prod him, he goes wild. <laughs> I do, um, I do want to pose a scenario to you now, Franco, and it's nice, to be honest, it's not a particularly nice one, but it's one that, given that things aren't going well, there is a fairly realistic possibility that we could end the year outside the top four. I think that's pretty certain. Mm. We could lose the, cup, the Carabao Cup final to City, and then the cherry on top of this awful situation would be getting knocked out of the Europa League too. So in this scenario, we wouldn't be in the top four and we wouldn't have a trophy. So for the sake of this scenario as well, I'm assuming that if this happens, Mourinho would be sacked. Um, So bearing that in mind, well, number one, who would you want to replace Jose Mourinho? And then two, given in this scenario, Kane might end up leaving, we're not going to be in the Champions League, it might not be possible to appoint those big names that we ideally want, who do you think would be a kind of realistic successor to Mourinho in this awful, awful scenario? Well, the player, the manager I wanted was Marco Rose, and he's decided to go to um, Dortmund, doesn't he? So, <laughs> and the weird thing, will they announce it? But he's not going to go until the end of the season. It's almost like very just, German, yeah, yeah very German, way very pragmatic. Yeah, so come in six months, but it's um, but it's almost like just saying, yeah, he, he's coming here. So don't anybody else try and sack their manager <laughs> and come for him. But it's weird. Germany seems to be producing <clears throat> quite a few of these forward-thinking managers at the moment, don't they? Like a lot of the the, the ones that are sort of um, being attached to Spurs, like Nagelsmann as well. Oh, yeah. um, and then yeah, there's there's quite a few in the Premier League. And then you've got um, Hassan Hutel as well. Is He looked like he was doing really well at the start of the season before Southampton have kind of just fallen away. Um, and so there's there's a few of those, but it's really difficult, isn't it? You look what English managers are doing well at the moment, and really Brendan Rodgers is having success, but he'd be I just find him a bit insufferable. Like the, the HG on the pod hates him and um, thinks he's a fraud, but you, you can't dispute what he's done at the moment. He's he's got that Leicester team with good players playing really well. It's kind um, of um like the Jose Mourinho who plays attacking football. He probably wouldn't be like, but at least, at least um, if he, if we don't have to like the manager, at least his football might be more palatable. But I think even someone like him, if we, if we're not in the champions league, I, mm. I just couldn't see him coming because Leicester, I think probably will get in the top four this year. They look even better than they were last year. Yeah. And yeah. I just worry. I worry he might be, too high a target so yeah do you think I mean Hassan Hootel probably would come and yeah I mean we're much better than Southampton but is there anyone else in that kind of hassle Hassan Hootel bracket that is is realistic well you know Nuno at Wolves is probably True. also another but again they're not playing as well so it's difficult there's no managers beneath us that are really riding high at the moment or sort of over you know they've had good good sort of spots here and there but it's difficult because I think the reason we went for Jose in the first place was like, if we were going to get rid of Poch, you had a lot of love. A lot of people in the club love Poch. Still, people are buying PSG shirts. Sorry. No. Just no. <laughs> I love Poch, but just come on, get a grip. And um, so I think he felt like he had to get a manager with really a long track record of success. And, and Jose, you can't argue. He's like, he's up there, but we're not going to get Pep. Um, we're not going to get someone, you know, Ancelotti. 
taken. So like, there's very few managers out there who I think who I think would be going for. I mean, you look at even Barcelona have got Koeman. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's just even the best clubs in the world are scraping for managers at the moment. So it's like, it is difficult. Um, especially I think these days when success seems to be narrowed down to very few clubs, like in France, it's going to be whoever's managing PSG is going to win stuff. Like no disrespect, Poch, well done, but um, it's not that difficult. And the same in England, it's like, it's virtually a Man City and, um, and Chelsea and, and Man United and Arsenal win the FA Cup, don't they? <laughs> Things like that. So it's like the, the, the trophies and the success is not spread amongst a large amount of managers either. So it's, it's very difficult. And, and where do you go? You always feel like after you've, you've gone in one direction with a manager, somebody who's quite defensive and quite boring, for want of a better word, you want to kind of go the opposite direction. So you want someone who's a bit more exciting. So I don't know, maybe we'll get um, our dealers to come back in. and <laughs> hey, yeah. Give it a go again. Plot twist, maybe uh, Marcelo Bielsa, if we're looking for the complete 180 of, uh, of Jose Mourinho. And even if Kane ends up leaving, he can just bring uh, Bamford along with him and you'll be fine. Uh, there you go. We'll get the master. We've had the apprentice. Now we'll get the master. Yeah. But I mean, he's done all right as well. But I just think there's a naivety with that style yeah. of football as well. Um, you can't argue with like Leeds have had some great results this year, but also they've got spanked. We, we smashed them 3 0 and they didn't look great that day. Um, so yeah, it's a, Bielsa might be might be a shout, but I, I, ideally I don't want to get rid of managers. I think it's that's the problem with modern football is we just chop and change far too often. It's just with Joe say there's just no fun, there's no enjoyment, there's no there's just nothing there to make me even hold on to and think right there's something to build on here. It just doesn't feel like there is. Um, I certainly wouldn't get rid of him until the end of the season. I just think that would be absolutely uh, ludicrous right now. So he's got until the end of the year, and yeah, if we don't win anything then there is a good chance that it will be got rid of, even if it costs us loads of money. I don't know. There's just, there's far too many. Very, I'm going to go on to, I could go on to a long thing about football finances and how there's no money in football. So who would we buy at the moment anyway? <laughs> like how much money do we need to spend? How much money have we got? Everyone's losing money. It's like, it's a really tricky time um, to know what's going to happen with with football and, uh, at the moment and, and whether we, we would have the money to sort of pay Jose off and then whoever comes in to, to let them buy the players they need to. It's like, it's... COVID has really sort of thrown a spanner in the works, I think, certainly for Spurs, with you know the stadium being built. They probably have plans and ambitions based upon all that money coming in. Now we're like £120 million short every season. It's like, I'm, I'm really not sure what we're going to do. Well, I guess moving uh, on from the unfun Mourinho to something a bit more fun, although rather than looking forward and projecting what might be with Spurs, we're going to actually look back. And I think we can all probably agree that Relatively speaking, in the past few years, this is quite an average spell for for Spurs at the moment because you guys have come a long way. And mm. well, I was going to say overperformed, but that's just that's not true. You guys have you, you've been a good team for for the last few years. Yeah. Um, so let's look back to more average times in the past when Spurs were definitively a very average side. Um, and we're going to build. <laughs> look at the, the smile more... on your face. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm enjoying, enjoying this. Isn't I it? am enjoying this quite a lot. I won't deny it, but feel free to take me down a peg if you get the opportunity. Um, but, uh, basically we're going to build, yeah, the most average Spurs team from memory. And I've got selections of goalkeepers and then we're probably kind of like a four, four, two. We'll end up building it. I'll, I'll name the names. And between you guys, you can kind of pick a posi- one person per position. So goalkeepers, we're going to start with the likes of Casey Keller, Ian Walker, uh, Radic Cherney, Michelle Vorm, and Jorelio Gomez. Are there any one name in particular or, or a couple that are really screaming out to you as the most average keeper that Spurs have had? 
it's going to be Cherney. He didn't really play that much, to be fair. And um, all the others had moments anyway. I thought Casey Kelly was all right at times, but he was kind of, yeah, part of that mediocre Spurs side at the end of the sort of 90s, wasn't he, in early 2000s? So, um, yeah, Cherney didn't do anything, so I'd definitely, I'd definitely have him. Even though Vorm only played about 10 games or something, didn't he, in the end? <laughs> yeah, it was an interesting one. He was quite, like, in theory, like the best backup keeper in the league, Michelle Vorm. But quite a strange decision for him to go from Spain. that was in theory the reality of all yeah. was sadly he just he was so rusty whenever he played yeah. god well um, joe i guess let's move on to the right backs and i've got pascal chimbonda paul Stalteri, kyle norton chris oh. gunter noe pamaro and stephen kelly are the names i mean in more recent times kyle norton was i mean it feels quite kind calling him average he was a he was, a, he was a terrible, terrible player for Spurs. Um, but mm. I guess in terms of pure average, not good, not bad, but just sort of doing an okay job, probably Stalteri. He did have that amazing moment against West Ham when he got the last-minute winner. So, But yeah, it's, for me, it's got to be one of Stalteri or Norton. What about you, Franco? Yeah, as soon as you said Norton, that was my choice. I mean, he probably played left-back as many times as right-back because <laughs> we just, well, we haven't got anyone to play left-back today. Carl, get on. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that that was the extent of it and you know when you're just a, you, you play on a, one side and the only time you're going to get to play is on the other side you're not valued <laughs> I um I don't know why but for some reason at the time I you know Kyle Norton and Kyle Walker signed for Spurs in my head I was like Kyle Norton's the hyped one he, he's he was be, yeah what, what was up with that Kyle Walker was like the the, the slightly younger support yeah. side yeah. exactly just came out of nowhere out of the shadows and then eclipsed Kyle Norton in a, in a big way. Um, moving mm. on to the centre-backs. And I've got Ricardo Rocha. Um, and then, um, is it Craig Gardner? No, not Craig. Anthony Gardner. Anthony Gardner. There's a lot of gardeners. Um, Gary Doherty, Vlad Chiriches, Federico Fazio, Callum Davenport, and Chris Perry, if you can name two of those guys. Uh, Franco. I mean, Davenport rarely played. And then he gets stabbed in the legs or something by like his Sorry. sister's boyfriend or something. That was it, sister's yeah. boyfriend. So yeah, was yeah. It. Very weird. <laughs> sounds a bit dodgy, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and then the ginger Pele. People seem to have some kind of affection for him, but he was absolute dog dirt. I mean, I grew up in, in Norwich and, and he went there afterwards and I saw him kicking about town as well with a, with a <laughs> girlfriend that was far too attractive for him. And... <laughs> But he was absolutely terrible. You know, when on Football Manager and you used to, there was occasionally a player that was a defender stroke striker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you were just there going, what's he going to be better at? Oh, no, he's pretty rubbish at both. And, um, yeah, I, I never like a defender stroke striker. I'll put it that way. So he's, he's probably the worst out of that. But yeah, there's, there's a list there, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, I guess Doherty for sure will make it in. It's good to know as a fellow ginger myself that there's hope in terms of getting an attractive girlfriend one day. <laughs> um, moving, it wasn't uh, that. He had a potato as a face as well. Like, there was more to it. Was <laughs> I'm going to take that as a compliment. And here, you know, he's, he's in Boston. Face, yeah, he's in Boston these days. It's about as close to you as we are. But um, <laughs> if you're ever in Boston, look him up. I will do. I'll have to hit up Gary Doherty if I'm on the East Coast. Um, Joe, would you want to find a partner for Gary Doherty in centre-back? Yeah, yeah. Davenport probably didn't play enough. Maybe maybe Fazio, he was just so slow. I know he's had like quite a good career aside from Spurs, but yeah, that, that one season at Tottenham in the, the first year of Pochettino, actually, um, yeah, he didn't cover himself in glory, let's put it that way. <laughs> I used to sign him on Football Manager when he played for Seville, and he was go on to become like the best centre-back in the game, which... 
obviously did not, did not really <laughs> did not happen. The thing is, this is what makes you question our scouting network because we were basically like, yeah, we, we play a high press, we play a high line and we press, and they're like, oh, right. So, would you want like a giant who's immobile to come and play? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a good idea. No, so, he just was getting oh skinned left, right, and center and just looking so bad. Like, and as you know, as soon as you get put in an uncomfortable position as a defender, everything just seems to fall apart. He couldn't even pass a ball like 10 meters in the end. He just, we just destroyed him. And I think he then went and played well again it's just like right. it's like a small blip in his career at spurs yeah there was a back in the day center back from ukraine that uh barcelona signed it was awful dimitri traginsky same same situation just immobile like yeah. what are you thinking how can the best team in the world sign a player like this but yeah fazio <laughs> it's a good memory moving on to the left backs uh we've got asu akoto lee young pyo ben thatcher zeki friars gilberto Koncheski, Paul Koncheski, Timothy Atuba, Eric Edmund, and Mauricio Tarico. Uh Frank. Uh, well, it's definitely not going to be Asso Cotto because he was he was decent, and even um, Lee Young Pio for for a right footed left back. <laughs> it's just That's a good point. most he did all right. It was the most frustrating thing because he had no left foot. It wasn't even like he had, he would always be on his right. So for the opposition, it was fairly obvious what he was going to try and do. He would get to sort of like even if you pushed up, he gets to the edge of the box and then have nothing. He'd be like, well, you're not going to put in a cross because you've literally got no left foot. So I don't really, I feel like he he tried at least hard. Um, what were some of the other options? There was some uh, real... Ben Thatcher, Zeki Friars, Gilberto, Zeki... who you signed from, I think, Berlin. Yeah, uh, Zeki Friars or Gilberto. Neither of them played too much, but they were both terrible. And again, it was this thing where we bought Friars and we thought he was going to be good. Wasn't he from United, from I think. United. Yeah, there was a weird story, yeah. He ended up in Belgium and then United got really angry, I think, when Spurs got him or threatened Spurs with legal action. Well, I don't know. And then it was just a massive anti-climax because he was, yeah, he was just average as hell. Um, really I think average. he, he only really played season. in the year when the, the Sherwood era, the ill-fated Sherwood era. He, he had a bit of a spell then, but oh, oh God. We've yeah, got the back so. four and the, and the keeper. So let's move on to the defensive side of midfield. And I've got Michael Brown, Pedro Mendes, Dean Marnie, Didier Zakora, and Tom Carroll up for grabs and maybe defensively let me throw Osam Ghali in there as well. Do you want to go, Joe? I mean, Michael Brown was pretty average. Even his name is a very yeah. average name. Yeah, it's quite a standard name. Standard, he, he, yeah. he, he'd, he'd been playing like fairly well for Neil Warnock, Sheffield United, who hadn't even been promoted at this point to the Premier League. And then, yeah, I mean, I was quite young when he was at Spurs, but I, I just remember not being blown away at all. I think it he... wasn't even fairly well, Joe. Didn't he score something like 20 goals for Sheffield? Because uh, it was Him something and ridiculous. Tom has struck up a, a nice little um, partnership, I think. Um, I, almost, I almost feel like Tong might have been the better one of the two. I think we bought the wrong Michael. <laughs> he but, missed a trick. But um, yeah, maybe he did. He, I think he probably did score quite a few goals there. But yeah, he just came to Spurs and yeah, he just looked like a sort of fairly good championship midfielder. I mean, he did he did carve out a bit of a Premier League career afterwards, but I've, I'm not quite sure how he there you go. I'm looking it up. He got 22 goals in 54 games oh. um, for Sheffield United. That's, yeah, that's like Frank Lampard of Sheffield. <laughs> yeah. It's an amazing return. And then and then we decided to buy him and he scored, what, three goals for us in three seasons. Oh, <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Do you remember one of them? One of his goals, I think, he ran the entire length of the pitch just taking these little micro steps with absolutely no pace. He's just, I don't know, it was so weird. He was having never seen him play football when he came, thinking, right, he scored loads of goals. I was thinking, great, he's going to be brilliant. And he was just nothing like that. He was just a bit like an angry, 
slow midfielder, wasn't he? He was just yeah, every now and then. That well, yeah, yeah it's it's like he's, he's just... kind of earned his place in the in defensive midfield of this average yeah, he, team in he, that case. Definitely, the center midfielders are going to be from Timu Tainio, Jamie Redknapp, Stefan Freund, um, Kazuyuki Toda, Danny Murphy, Kevin Prince Boateng, or Lewis Holtby. Uh, Joe, go for it. Uh... I mean, I quite liked him when I was younger, but I'm pretty sure he was really average. So Stefan Freund, I think I'd say. Not, seemingly nice guy, and he had his spell on the AVB coaching staff. But yeah, I, I, I don't think he was that good. <laughs> Do you agree with that, Franco? Or is there another name that you think uh, needs to be in there? Yeah, he, he, was, he was bad. But then Lewis Holtby as well, another player that we, we got excited about. We thought we kind of got him on a cheap and we'd stolen him and... We hadn't. <laughs> we just got somebody that wasn't that great. And again, he kind of started off, looked quite bright, put loads of effort in, but he was just, a, he was a bit like an Eric Lamella without any skill. So he was like all heart, all <laughs> effort, good, yeah. <laughs> but nothing else really. So yeah, he wasn't great. Let's throw Holtby in, I think, a bit of a left foot and with, along with Michael Brown, a bit of bit balance for the centre midfield. Uh, moving on <laughs> to the wings, and we've got the left hand side. So I'm starting with the player who, honestly, I. I think it's a stretch to call him a winger if you're talking about mobility but Andy Reid otherwise <laughs> uh, on the left otherwise would be yeah Matty Edrington or Reto Ziegler Stephen Pinar or George Nkudu um Franco go again oh Nkudu definitely because he just didn't do anything I mean he didn't get very much opportunity at all um I felt a bit sorry for him to be fair but it just shows you because I guess Bale dominated that left for, for quite a few years and we've not had anybody of that quality, really. Um, and I think even Pinar, didn't we get him on? Like His, his contract was expiring and we got him cheap yeah. and we thought, yeah. brilliant, we've got a steal. Yeah. Just did nothing. Just did nothing for Spurs, really. Got a few goals, but Andy Reid, he was he was bought as part of the um, Dawson thing, wasn't he, as well? And, we got, and he was sort of the main player, but again... He was more just like a, a sort of a, a player that got laughed at and called fat like Lampard. <laughs> that was it. That was it. We didn't expect anything from him after that. But um, yeah, I think I'll... Um, and Ziegler, I think, was probably more of a left back. And I didn't mind him, but he just didn't stick around for long. So, yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Joe? Yeah, I think Nkudu's a good shout, actually. I mean, again, there was such a big transfer saga um, surrounding him. And actually, like, there was a lot of hope that... We'd signed quite a young, exciting attacking midfielder, but um, yeah, like you said, he didn't play much. But when he did play, he didn't leave much to, to be desired. Well, I've got a couple more of those names in terms of pacey wingers who <laughs> kind of flatter to deceive, and this is going to be on the right hand side. And then a third one who I wouldn't necessarily call a pacey winger, but the first two are uh, Wayne Routledge and Giovanni dos Santos, and then the third one is David Bentley. Um, Frank, I'll let you go again first for this one. Oh, it's got to be Bentley, hasn't it? Goal against Arsenal aside, he was the biggest waste of money at the time. And I've argued this on a, on a, a thing I've written before, where I basically said I think Bentley's partly to blame for Levy refusing to spend money on players <laughs> because he's been eternally scarred by that. He probably got convinced. No, look, Bentley's on great form. He's got you know his English pedigree. He's you know he's been in all the youth teams and he's got a great right foot. And we bought him, he did nothing. And then Redknapp just got the arse with him and decided never to play him ever again. And and that was it. And he went, well, you're paying me shitloads of money. So I think I'm going to stay here for the next five years. <laughs> and retire. And Yeah. Then yeah. he we tried to send him to Russia at one point. And I he think really that, went. he went. He played for FC Rostov. And yeah, we go, li- living in this sort of, yeah, not very well-known city in Russia. <laughs> very weird thought. But he now, he now owns... Um, 
I think a nightclub in Marbella or a restaurant. So that that's what he's doing. Well, not doing that these days with COVID, but that's sort of his life. Um, life these does days. not surprise me. He'll be like the next Wayne Lineker in about thirty exactly. years time. He'll be exactly. there trying to bang eighteen-year-olds. Yeah, yeah that, that's obviously his mentor in life. <laughs> so then <laughs> Bentley Bentley does it for you. He's average enough to make it on the right wing. Yeah, he does. And obviously, Kai, I have fond memories of weird, well, being undercover in the Arsenal and with you when Bentley <laughs> scored that goal. Oh, um, really? Biting yeah, your knuckles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Literally, yeah, it was. Um, it was. Yeah, probably the the best and worst place to be for that goal. Surrounded by upset Arsenal fans, yeah, I couldn't really properly, you know, <laughs> let, let loose. Yeah, Joe and I have had some memorable nights at the Emirates. Uh, moving on to the forwards, and I guess I'll let each of you pick one. Um, so I'll propose it first to Franco. These are from Mido, Vincent Janssen, Soldado, Postiga, Zamora, Dempsey, Sahar, and Ng. If you could have picked one of those. Oh, my days. There's just so many bad. And you didn't even mention that like, Andy Booth or Raziak. You didn't even <laughs> mention Raziak. Raziak I was considering, but I thought he was just too bad. Andy Booth. I mean, yeah, he's not been. even average. He's just. <laughs> Raziak was too bad to make the list of yeah. bad players. <laughs> Christ. Um, I think, as much as it pains me, I'll say Soldado, because again, loads mm. of money, loads of expectation, only scored penalties. And <laughs> I think like one or two goals from open play. It was so few and far between. We we literally broke him, I think. I can't remember who it was in the Europa League we played. And there was a time when he went one-on-one. Oh, Fiorentina, I think. Fiorentina, it was Fiorentina. Yeah. Went one-on-one, clean through. It's like, the, you know, any striker would have put that away. And he managed to fluff it up at the last second because he just, we just destroyed him. He had no confidence. And I just, I felt really bad because he obviously tried a lot, but like you watch his YouTube videos of the goals he scored the season before he came to us and everything was coming off. He was like, he'd just try outlandish, like a cross would come in and volley it from the edge of the area, fly in the top corner. He was just on absolute peak form and confidence. Came to Spurs within about two months, we'd broken him and, and he never recovered. The massive waste of money and all of our yeah hopes and dreams of that sort of, um, the Magnificent Seven were, were shattered and he was part of it. <laughs> yeah, I think even strangely enough, back in the day, he might have been at Real Madrid and they must have realized um, <clears throat> that he wasn't quite, uh, didn't cut the mustard. So I think he, well, yeah, Valencia is where he kind of made a name for himself. And then you guys, yeah. money well spent, of course. Yeah. Well, Joe, <laughs> um, how about uh, Soldado's strike partner? Oh, yeah, I think I'll complete this team by letting Helder Postiga slot in alongside him just because he was young when we bought him, but he was seen, I think there was a lot of excitement and Glenn Hoddle kind of, came out and said how, you know, amazed he was we were able to pull it off and he's mm. one of Europe's hot prospects. And then I think he scored twice for Tottenham or something like that. Um, and again, yeah, he was young and he sort of recovered to some extent and scored against England that summer in the Euros. But um, my memories of him were just, yeah, just a, a guy that just wasn't good enough for the Premier League. And yeah, it was it was all pretty average, unfortunately. And he, he was quite expensive at the time. I think yeah. it was like six million or something, which was... Not cheap. And yeah, like you say, it just didn't work out for him again. He, we'd like Everson as well. Remember we bought him and he was touted as like the most exciting striker in Europe. And right, he didn't have a terrible career at Spurs, but he was never like the most exciting striker in Europe. So it's, it's weird. We seem to buy these youngsters. It's almost like, who's saying this? It's like their agents are there putting these, <laughs> putting these ideas out there in the press. Oh, he's the most exciting striker. Spurs are like, let's buy him. Yeah, he's pretty much guaranteed. Rubbish. 
if if the kind of build up is that he's an exciting striker, that he's going to be average given kind of the acquisitions that Spurs have made in the striking positions over the past few years. That was it. That was the big difference between Spurs and Arsenal in those days is that Arsenal would pluck some player from obscurity and it'd end up being an absolute world beater. <laughs> We'd do the same. We made a few mistakes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but he wasn't obscure enough. That's the thing. He was touted as big. Like, is Wenger would just find these players somewhere in France, like in a small league or something, one of the lower leagues, and they turn out to be brilliant. And then we just buy absolute dross. Glad <laughs> well, yeah. Yaya So he, he it's <laughs> I guess um, that yeah, pretty much completes the the average eleven. I'll read it back. It's goalkeeper Radek Czerny, back four from right to left of Kyle Norton, uh, Gary Doherty, Federico Fazio, and Zeki Friars. And then midfield again, uh, right to left is David Bentley. Michael Brown, Lewis Holtby, and George and Kudu. And then up top is Soldado and Postiga. Obviously, a few of these guys aren't playing anymore, but I think even put them all in their heyday, this team would potentially be in a relegation fight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not good. It's not free. They good. might even beat Derby's record, I think, of three <laughs> yeah, points, well, points in the season. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you've got no goals. You've got a leaky defence. You've got a <laughs> midfield that's just going to get yellow carded. <laughs> There's no redeeming qualities whatsoever, essentially. Nope. Yeah. Cheers um, for that. <laughs> that's made me realise the situation is not that bad at the moment. Well, after, that's, is it? Exactly. That's what, you know, we thought things aren't going well for Spurs. So at least we can think at least it's not as bad as that. And um, well, at least not yet anyway. But um, on that note, um, that does bring us to the end of today's show. So um, thanks to my co-host, Kaitel, and a special thank you to our guest, Franco. Franco, uh, we hope you've enjoyed yourself. And also, how can our listeners follow you and keep up to date with all things Cheese Room related? Well, the Facebook page is the, is the big thing, but we've been like destroyed by Zuckerberg in the last week. I think because the page was started in Australia, they've, they've basically blocked it, so you can't access it. But apparently it's, it's being it's being sorted out and rectified so we should be back there facebook look up the cheese room podcast if not we're on all the socials uh, we've got a youtube channel where we occasionally post videos but then twitter and um, instagram and then obviously if you want to give us some money and come on patreon and be part of the gang then patreon.com forward slash the cheese room podcast and we're obviously available on spotify itunes and all of your main podcast providers Brilliant. Fantastic. Well, I hope all Spurs fans and all football fans in general really give um, the Cheese Room podcast a listen. Um, And then on the topic of how to follow people, remember to follow us too uh, across our social channels. That's at UnitedMatesFP and that's for Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. We were actually kicked off Instagram earlier this year, so we feel your pain. Um, You rebels, what were you doing? Oh, it was just, you know, some we we put some music on that we shouldn't, you know, nothing too glamorous, unfortunately. But um, We're also on YouTube. We haven't been kicked off there yet. So um, subscribe to us there. Just type in the United Mates Football Podcast and you should find us. That is all for now. Thank you very much and goodbye.